Hey everybody, this is Rub, and welcome back to the House of X Book Club. Got the usual suspects. I've got Drew here. Hey, how's it going, Drew? Good. I feel like we've been here before, and it's just so delightful <laughs> to be back. Yeah. Uh, deja vu. Um, of course, we're coming back after you know having some technical issues and and starting over again. But uh, that's okay because we said a bunch of funny shit that we could say over. Um, I'll remember none of it. And uh, Shane's with us. I'm always fucking hilarious, so I, yeah. it doesn't matter. I'll just oh. completely riff anew. That's subjective. Oh my, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I do recall one thing I said last time we spoke with Shane. I sure have missed you. Um, <laughs> of course, Rowan is here. Hello. Yeah. We love hearing your voice. <laughs> and uh, and Raj. Greetings, homo sapien normatives. From your genetic superiors. Did did you, you have that you, written down yeah. somewhere? I did you? actually do this on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> I was all like, "Quick, look! Let me look." <laughs> so that's Don't how Raj. That's how Raj was introduced. That's how he introduced himself last time we recorded this, and and we were like, "Oh, that's great!" And then it turns out, yeah, it's, he's got it written down. But that's okay. That's, that's Dude, smart. it's eight words in a row. I can't remember that much. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm 52 um, back off. Yeah. <laughs> so to, tonight we are going to be talking about X-Men 27 and X-Men 28. Of course, this is episode 16. Can you believe that we are recording episode 16? Woo! I believe it. I believe it. Wow. This podcast can officially get its driver's license. And yes. I also believe I can fly. <laughs> So yeah, it's... oh boy. <laughs> I was going to say it seems like number 72, but okay, 16. Sure. <laughs> so tonight we're going to be talking about X-Men 27 first. The release date on that is October 11th, 1966. Cover date is December 1st, or excuse me, I say December 1st. I don't know why I wrote that down. Just December of 66, because they didn't really care what the date was. Um, we've got Roy Thomas writing. Werner Roth penciling, Dick Ayers inking, Sam Rosen did the letters, and Stan Lee, of course, did all the other crazy stuff, um, editing and, as Drew puts it, the what, editorializing. What yeah, yeah. Uh, which of course, apparently... if 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 you read the the credits in the order that Stan put them, he edited the book before anybody else did anything. Yes, no, it. he <laughs> it was his idea. It's he's the he's the creator. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so so the title of this story is Re-Enter the Mimic. And I'm a big fan of the mimic. Um we had a big conversation earlier. I think Roger was asking the question, like, what's up with the mimic? And the one thing, like Ron and I have talked about this, the mimic doesn't just have the ability to mimic other people's powers. But he has the ability to mimic their knowledge, their skill set. So, so he could mimic, you know, his math professor's knowledge of of math mathematics. Okay, so he is yes, he can take on the entire team of the X Men and kick their butts because he also has mimicked all of their fighting skills. And their fighting skills are going to be different than each individual fighting skill because not only does he have have Iceman's ability to ice skate without ice skates, but he can uh, kick with like Beast does, you know. Yeah. So. I do take Roger's point though that it is still 
four against one. It is. It is. Yeah. Well, not yep. only that, but his power absorption gimmick is kind of in, inconsistent too. Is it? Like, yeah. Dude, don't start pointing out inconsistencies. We'll be here all We're okay. a day late and a dollar short on that shit. Come on. <laughs> so in this, this story, uh, the story begins with the mimics fighting the X-Men. And he, um, of course, he has all their powers back. Yes, the mimics back, which means he must have gained his memory somehow. Because... Uh, Professor X flashy thing, didn't remember? He he's like, oh yeah, we'll make him forget, and we'll take his powers away, and it'll be great. Um, that never bites you in the ass, but here he is kicking the butts of the X Men, and of course, he defeats them all: uh, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Iceman, and the Beast, every one of them. Angel is not there, but he's recovering from his injuries from when Cyclops blasted him intentionally. Blasted. Attempted murder. <laughs> <laughs> well, intentionally now. Cyclops thought maybe it was intentional. Maybe it was subconsciously intentional. You know, he Cyclops aimed... is such a little bitch. I'm just gonna say it. He is. <laughs> it's <in> true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So, um, so and a sourpuss. After the fight, uh, we go back to how it all started. So this is a a start kind of in the middle of the story, and then we go back to what happened in the beginning. The X Men return from their fight with Kukukan. Uh, Cyclops, Beast, and Iceman carry Angel to on a stretcher. Cyclops is still beating himself up over what happened to Warren. You know, he's feeling guilty for blasting him. He's wondering if he should even be allowed to, to be on the team. And he's like, nobody will love me because of my deadly eyes. Wah. Nobody's going to love you because of your piss poor attitude, Scott. Yeah. So there he is just beating himself up. And Warren looks up. And he's all like, you know, he's been blasted. So, you know, he's hurting. And he's like, look. Will I ever be able to fly again? Yeah. <laughs> don't don't blame yourself. You know, I was delirious when I blamed you, Cyclops. Okay. I'm sorry. It, it, don't blame yourself. It's not your fault. Which I, I kind of think that's, that's awful big of Angel. I never really thought much of the character of Angel. And I got to say, reading these earlier books, I think I'm a little bit more. Um, I think as personality is a little bit better even professor xavier says he's the bravest of the x-men um that's bullshit <laughs> though that is in my notes <laughs> no okay. he, i i would say it's true he's got pretty much the most useless power mutant power and still goes in there and fights with the rest of them yeah there's there's something to be said about that but on, on page 17 specifically when we get there I'll talk okay. about his bravery being bullshit. <laughs> well, let's go, let's go back to Metro College, okay, where Gene is spending a lot of time with Rowan's favorite Marvel character, Ted. That's uh, growing <laughs> Ted is growing on me, Rowan. And I, I thought that while I was reading it, and I was I thought of you because I knew how upset you'd be with me if I admitted that. But Ted is growing on me. Rowan's silent about Ted, that. No, Ted was less irritable in the the f issue with his brother. Yeah. So, of course, uh, she even thinks Jean is like how she's grateful that she's not so lonely because Ted's around. Um, and she doesn't miss being Marvel Girl anymore because, well, Ted's around. And she notices how driven Ted is. And, um, 
even through his athletics, which means she's checking him out while he's pole vaulting and, you know, stuff like that. She's really seeming to like, like Ted's growing on Gene. I mean, at first it was just like, oh, he's showing me to my class. Great. And now it's like, let's picnic together. Let's go, you know. So they're, ha- they're having to have girl feelings about yeah. it. That's that's okay. There's let's a, go get a, a big orange drink. Yes. Let's get a big orange drink. The thing they do, they do back in the 60s. Guys and girls, say they, they get orange drinks. Um, <laughs> so she realizes that Ted is really driving himself, and it, it's related to his brother. So she's crying a bit, and wants to know about the brother. Um, he he does tell her that it has to do with his older brother, and that he's only telling her because she's special. Ted's getting lucky tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, this conversation and this this like beautiful moment between the two of them is interrupted by an explosion at the chemistry lab. And some guys are carrying this fella out who was caught in the explosion. And it's Cal Rankin, a.k.a. the Mimic. Somehow Gene senses that the Mimic has his memory back. Magnetism. As as, yes. <laughs> as, seen, as soon as... He sees her. His thought bubbles confirm it. Meanwhile, we're gonna go. We're gonna go elsewhere to the puppet master, and uh, everybody loves that guy. He's a hoot. Um, the puppet master is back, and he's trying to get the X Men under his control by making another Professor X doll. Does that work the first time? <laughs> I have to say, the detail on this one is awesome. Yes. <laughs> well, Drew and I were talking a bit about that, but I think you're right. I think the art is is better. And it has to do with the fact that the art is Werner Roth and not Jack Kirby. Yeah. Um, but well, I mean, even if, if, I mean, it's still not accurate though, because professor X is standing. Yeah. The puppet. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> but also look at the puppet master. His head is normal. Whereas yeah. before he's got like this big bulbous head with like these pencil thin eyebrows and these big eyes and he's just creepy as hell. Now he looks like, uh, I don't know. He looks kind of like Professor Xavier. Not only that, he he has those weird ass eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. I'm not used to seeing this puppet master. This puppet master looks like a normal guy, and it kind of disturbs me. Of course, it doesn't work because you know, fool me once, shame on me. Professor X has put some kind of mental block in place, so that can't actually happen. Xavier knows it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, all right, we got to find some mutants to help us out. We are going to recruit some new new members here. Um, he tracks down Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. And he's like, hey, uh, how about joining the X-Men since you're no longer Brotherhood of Evil Mutants members? And they're like, yep, sorry. We're already Avengers. Uh, and he's, he's like, wait, what? Overnight? How did that happen? And they're like, we don't even know. Trust us. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I love the fact that 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 Quicksilver is honing his powers and Scarlet Witch is just casually practicing falconry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, my question about this was, so yes, you're right. That's exactly what they're doing when Professor X astrally approaches them, right? Um, and Quicksilver is trying to, he's running. Okay. His power is to run really fast. And he can keep up with the Falcon. To me, that doesn't seem. I mean, that's uh, Falcons are fast when they're they're fast. Yeah, but he, but his speed should be a lot faster than a Falcon. I don't yeah, know. yeah. 
But he's like, who? I could catch up. I could keep up with the Falcon. I'm great. I'm happy. Yeah, so, that, that's true because, like, yeah, yeah, like in, in the in the Marvel superheroes game, he's like his his speed is one of the more difficult things to tackle because he's yeah. able to move so quickly. Yeah. Um. So. But can he travel through time? Only if he runs around the globe backwards, <laughs> or on a um, treadmill <laughs> with with Batman tethered to it. Yeah, that's right. God <laughs> bless. I still don't understand how now. that fucking thing works. He, Xavier can't recruit Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, which is a bummer to him. It'd be cool if they were on the team. Actually, I've always thought so. Um, but Beast and Iceman are on a date with Zelda and Vera, and they decide to like dump their dates as they usually do because they see some some bad shit going on, and they're gonna go stop it. Well, Spider Man beat them to it, and so. Xavier's like, hey, ask Spider-Man if he'll join the X-Men. Because that seems logical. Uh, (laughs) And Spider-Man says, yeah, no. (laughs) I'm an Avenger, too. (laughs) Yeah, he he said something about having to... Like, he just got back from from The Avengers tryouts. Yeah, Yeah. Rush week at the Avengers. (laughs) He didn't didn't join the Avengers, which means he failed. Yeah. They changed their mind. They they chose Scarlet Witch ha- and, and Quicksilver Hawkeye, and Hawkeye. Ha- yeah, and Hawkeye over him. Um, Otherwise known as the Big Five recruitment drive. We've got the guy <laughs> with the bow and arrow and the runner. Yes. And does the Scarlet Witch have like a power set yet? She just just does stuff. That's what hex, I've noticed from her. The mysterious hex power. Yeah. yeah. Works like magnetism. Yeah. <laughs> it does whatever the writer needs it to do. Yeah. So so, so Beast and Iceman took their dates to a hot dog cart, some random hot dog cart on the side of the street in New York. They didn't want to give those girls kisses. They wanted to give them explosive diarrhea. I mean, I'll tell you what. <laughs> like if uh, Next time I see Zelda on the street, I'm stealing her away from Bobby because she's just mistreated. She is? Yeah. Well, uh, he he's like, how about a hot dog? Can I buy you a hot dog? She's like, yeah. And then sure. he's, like, he's like, can I borrow some money? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he and- did, yeah. And it's chronic. Like he always does this. She's like, no, when I go on dates with you, I've learned to keep money in my wallet. So I mean, the kids, they don't really have any money unless Professor X gives them some, right? Well, we were talking about that. Yeah. How do they get money? I mean, Warren's rich. Warren's got lots of money. Do they get funds from their parents? Do their parents send them cash from time to time? This isn't the only time money for the X-Men has come up, though, in this run of of issues that we've read. I think it comes up again in X-Men 31, if I'm not mistaken. Ultimately, it's the mimic that that Xavier takes in. Because he demands it. He just forces his way in there. It's like, hey, I'm on your team. And Xavier's like, okay. But Xavier sees something in him. You know, it's not it. I don't know. Maybe it's that. I can change him. Yeah, he sees like he can help him. You know, he can help Cal rank and be something good. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's that he just wants him off the streets. <laughs> he knows my secret. I got to keep him close. Right. Otherwise, I got a flashy thing. In he, he's a liability. Uh, yeah, again. You guys, I keep saying flashy thing, um, and you've said it this entire entire run, but like for some reason today, I just have this image of Professor Xavier in a trench coat. Dude, come on! It's a thousand dollars in therapy, right there. Yeah, no, I'll just mind wipe you. It's fine. (laughs) So mimic ends up getting controlled by the puppet tester, but he's trying to fight it off. 
All the X-Men go to Puppet Master's secret base. They fight his a new big android. And this is kind of a lame android, I have to say. It doesn't even move. It just stands there and, and fights them. Um, well, uh, you know, working legs cost extra. Yeah. Just ask X. Just ask Professor X. Yeah. Ouch. Um, <laughs> Ow. Of course, Angel shows up. <laughs> And he smashes the mimic puppet so that the mimic can, uh, you know, be his always, his always charming self. Basically, he, he can, you know. And then they fight, they fight the bad guy. Puppet master takes off. End of story. Enough kind said. Of. Enough said. Yeah, that um, would really kind of just ended out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. It was. Um, oh shit! We're at the end of the book already. Well, they, it's because they had all the action at the beginning of the book. They front-loaded everything. Yeah. So there's a there's a few things in here that are really cool. Um, first of all, Drew said you really liked all the issues that we read recently. Tell yes. me what you really liked about this one. So I, the one thing I really liked about this book is how they did just throw you into the action. And they were in the danger room training against the Mimic. You know, We didn't know why the Mimic was there, but it threw you into the action. And then instead of it just like coming to a halt, like the action kind of just keeps flowing and the mm. whole the whole issue something's happening there's no really downtime everybody's doing something and it was it's it was a good change of pace i really liked how they went from the x-men to gene and ted to the puppet master to mm -hmm. the mimic you know they kind of they when they bounced around it 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 gave us something new to be interested in or something right. new to notice um but See, you're but right the beginning of this one irritated me because the X-Men forgot how Mimic Mimic's powers worked. Again! Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, come on! It's like the, every single time they fight somebody for a second time, they're like, oh, what are we supposed to do? Well, maybe that's because the way that uh, Stan wanted them was that, you know, every every new reader or every reader could be a new reader. And uh, or because yeah. Professor Professor X keeps mind wiping them, <laughs> they keep forgetting. <laughs> yeah. uh, I better I better hit Iceman twice. He forgot how to eat soup. <laughs> I thought we established that Professor Xavier mind wipes them every night after he releases them from his uh secret underground dungeon. Oh, that's right. The, ba the Professor X basement of sadness, <laughs> not for him. So <laughs> Um, of course, when they meet the Mimic, he's pissed off that the X-Men tricked him that last time, um, which I think is rightfully so. I think I think he got the raw end of the deal. This issue, everybody has new costumes. Which that confused kinda, me. Kind of looks like their old costumes. Really? Um, you couldn't tell Jean Grey apart well, from Cyclops with the no, new costumes? There? No. That, so in the very, <laughs> on the very first page, I even have a note. My note says, has Jean always had a spiky-eyed domino mask? I don't remember seeing that before. And then, uh, you know, read on a couple of pages, and it, it tells you that they have new costumes. I'm like, oh, okay, that that's why they... Yeah, that's that's the one part of her now. costume that has been constant. Gene um, went off to college and started going to them eyes wide shut parties down in the basement <laughs> of the dorms. <laughs> um, for the most part, the new difference is there's a red belt instead of a yellow belt. Um, and there's more blue on the sides. Yeah. Yeah, well, her I think in her costume it's very noticeable. Uh, so they kind of am, look... I, am I wrong though? Didn't she have a skirt before? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
But she was also in a cowl before, and now she's not. Yeah. Right. I always right. thought the skirt was kind of stupid and sexist because it wasn't really practical. Hey, well, like for the it, Power Rangers. Yeah, it gets worse. Like, one of the next issues we're going to read, you're going to be like, she's got a skirt and it's snowing. You know? Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> I actually no. did. I that's one of my <laughs> one of the things yeah. I noticed that I was like, was what so the blatant. actual fuck? And she's not yeah. even wearing like leggings or anything. Yeah, at least put her in tights. Yeah. Give her give her no. some give her some nice flash dance eighties leg warmers or something. Yeah. So I <laughs> I I liked that Cyclops was hard on himself, but Angel, the guy that got blasted, is like, you know, don't be so hard on yourself, man. I kind of had an issue with that, to be honest. Did you? Because um in the in the you know when he gets blasted by cyclops he makes such a big deal about oh you did it on purpose because you love jean gray and then all of a sudden the next issue he's like oh no it's fine you didn't mean to do it he <laughs> did say he did say i'm sorry i was delirious when i said that i, mean, <laughs> I was delirious with jealousy um <laughs> i don't know i still wish that cyclops would have panicked started making out with all the other x-men just <laughs> no no see i love everybody <laughs> <laughs> and then we wouldn't have had to wait decades for Bobby to finally come out. That's right. And then, and then when they call him on it later, he'll be, oh no, no, Puppet Master had me under his control. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Rowan, how did you feel about this issue? He was all right. I, I mean, the sort of starting with the action was interesting. When it, when it kind of rewinds, I was, I really, I really didn't like the way Jean Grey was written. I didn't, I didn't really like her doting i didn't i didn't like she blames college for her being out of practice as a as a as an x-man also this this is one of the issues that mentions the healing factor for mutants in general and so there's right. it's one of those issues where we're kind of seeing the continuity is not is you know is sort of inconsistent yeah. Where they haven't well, decided yet how well, mutants work. Right, right. Yeah, that was one have? of the things I noticed that, like, I could I mentioned that it it was my notes was that if if all the mutants have uh, some sort of healing factor, why did the doctor have to break out the horse tranquilizer gun to treat Bobby's UTI back a few right. issues ago? <laughs> yeah, right, Cause right. Because sulfa drugs, they're magical. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, we're actually going to talk about that too. The bottom of page five, where the beast is like, "Thank heaven that his mutant recuperative powers are coming to Warren's aid at any rate." And it's right, like, right. Dude, right, what? Hold on, hold on now. My note, my note says, page five. Hank basically reaffirms that all mutants have a healing factor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My note is the beast takes forever to say nothing. <laughs> you. Right, like, yeah, you. I also I have beast is a shit like here. That's yeah. just beast's character. Right. He just never right. says anything but doesn't shut the hell up. Right. So so I wanted to talk a little bit about the big mutant menace that Professor Xavier's talking about, like every issue that never shows up. Mm -hmm. Um and As if you know Professor Xavier. He's talking. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Uh, he he wants to, you know, there's a huge mutant menace on its way and he needs to re re recruit new members. Um, and, uh, you know, he's always talking about it. And and I, I by this time, by issue 27, I'm like, God damn it. Hurry Why up. Why doesn't he's got Cerebro? Why doesn't he just use Cerebro? Right. Yeah. 
Just thought of that. Well, it's it's weird though. The whole Cerebro thing is like all over the place. It seems to have limited range sometimes, and other times it doesn't. And it's just like figure out, take ten minutes, do a little brainstorming session, figure some shit out, and let's go from there. Go find Moira McTaggart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I yeah. feel like I, we talked about this before. It's like in one issue, like when Cyclops was leading the team, it was like the the blob is on 32nd and 12th. He's eating a hoagie and <laughs> and punching a small child in the face. And then in the next issue, it was like, there is a mutant in America. <laughs> and now it's not even working because he's yeah. trying to recruit people and can't use it yeah i am enjoying the fact that the x-men comics becoming less of a one-off book every issue and there are more constant threads for mm -hmm. instance you know i mean we've always had like a little bit of the love triangle scott and gene and and warren um but now it's 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 gone beyond that. That triangle's turned into like a rectangle, a beloved rectangle, <laughs> um, with the, uh, you know, with the inclusion of Rowan's favorite Marvel character, Ted. Um, well, way to go, Gene, for playing yeah. the field back in the sixties. <laughs> hey, Would have been you know, frowned upon, you know. <laughs> I mean, she's she's her own person, man. Yeah. So well, I, I, I love some of the comedy, I, unintentional comedy, like Professor X had to change clothes. To astrally project. <laughs> like, Motherfucker, you could have done that naked. <laughs> uh, you want to have I, your best suit and tie for when you're projecting yourself. I mean, I don't know, you guys. It's it's like getting ready for a good Zoom meeting. You know, you got <laughs> you got to put on your best duds. Um, but but anyway, Roy Thomas is you know he was a romance comic writer at, at mm -hmm. one point now he's like really kind of going into it i mean those there those are some like interesting touching moments with ted on the lawn at the college you know or you know what i mean it's gene checking out his ass on the diving board yeah that too <laughs> the other thing i found really funny was when the puppet master was like that alarm that must mean the x-men found my lair what happens if it's like the post office <laughs> blast blast charlie the postman in the face because you thought the x-men showed up or does he have is that a, is that a different is that a different <laughs> bell a buzzer not a bell um okay yeah, there you go yeah um who was it that was asking about puppet master earlier uh roger is it you? i asked the question about puppet master and alicia, alicia. Mm -hmm. yeah so I, I've got some notes on Puppet Master. Now, he was created by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee for Fantastic Four number eight. And that was 1962, okay? His origin is linked to Spider-Woman, who in the early 80s was one of my favorite ex or one of my favorite Marvel characters. Still one um, of my favorite Marvel characters. Yeah, they, God, they've she's... done such a great over- well, decades long story arcs with her yeah. and it's impressive yeah. that they she's only gotten better and only gotten cooler yep. by the way she and the porcupine get along okay yeah that's right <laughs> unexpected turn for the porcupine i know i, I At don't least think something i don't think it's happened. the same porcupine hmm. it's like the okay. third or fourth porcupine but oh. yeah god there's more of them <laughs> why <laughs> 
the whole yeah. Denim park. franchise um, baby it's yeah. all about the franchise money um, <laughs> now i i know i what i've read of her stuff more recently is kind of sporadic but to me it kind of felt like uh he's a babysitter now he's a boyfriend um but anyway <laughs> yeah well and she's no had some pretty good dog. runs in other books too like yeah. she's uh she's a really good support character in the captain Wolverine. marvel book wolverine wolverine early on early wolverine. yeah um, i mean i mean recently like just within the last oh, okay. few months she was like a she was her and carol danvers are really good friends and mm-hmm. she's gone on missions with her and like carol went into space and spider-man woman went with her and was like look you better watch out for me because I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't breathe in the vacuum of space like you can, bitch. So yeah. <laughs> and I think she's connected also to the Spider-Verse somehow. Yeah. Um, but I haven't been catch- I haven't been keeping up on her. Of course, now his uh, like I was saying, Puppet Master's origins linked to her. They used to play together when they were children at the base of Mount Wondegore, where they both lived at the time. Uh, until she got sick due to radiation poisoning. And it had to do with the radiation that was in, in the Earth. Puppet Master took up sculpting, and he'd used the clay that he found, which was radioactive, and that's how he got his powers. Um, he uses radioactive clay, gives him the ability to control people that he makes pups of. That is, you know, a little info on Puppet Master and his connection to one of our favorite characters. It is, I think, in this issue... Because Warren decides he's going to go off and and help the X-Men. He doesn't fly. He drives his car. You know? (laughs) And then he creeps and sneaks around. Because if he flies, he may lose the use of his wings. They're not fully recouped yet. Um, And Xavier tries to stop him. He's like, no, I have to do something. They're my friends. And and that's when Xavier says that he's perhaps the bravest of all the X-Men. Yeah, but for me, that... So... Warren is supposed to be on bed rest and he disobeys a direct order from Professor Xavier to go endanger himself both in the short term term and the long term because he could potentially ruin his wings forever if he gets into trouble. So how does that make him brave? Because no matter what's going to happen, he has to go to help his friends. I just thought it was weird that like Professor Xavier's like, no, don't go because you're gonna not be on the team anymore because you're gonna ruin your wings and you're gonna just be a normal person. Oh, but you're so brave. Well, you know those wings are important. He loves flying. I mean, that's like he is in his element when he's mm-hmm. in the sky. That's true. But um, I I don't know if I talked about this uh before in the while we were recording, but Roy Thomas before had you guys heard about this before he worked for Marvel. He um he had letters in Marvel Comics. Like he'd write in and 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 you know write especially to the Fantastic Four. So he had a letter in Fantastic Four number five, number fifteen, and number twenty two. And his uh, first Marvel superhero gig was Tales of Suspense number seventy three, where he did an Iron Man feature. That was uh, January of sixty six. By May of sixty six, he was writing the X Men. So it's uh, I think it was Roy Thomas. He was he got a job working at DC and he was there for a week and Stan Lee hired him on the spot. He he was like, you can come work for me. And and he's like, OK, but I can't leave, you know, I can't leave at DC in a in a pinch. 
well, he goes to DC and he's like, they kind of offered me a job at Marvel, but I, you know, I'm giving you notice because I don't want to leave you guys in a pinch. And the boss there is like, get the hell out, you traitor. And so he chased him off and, you know, probably was able to just start working right away. <laughs> so at any rate. Any idea how old he was at this time? He he was a young fella. I mean, he was he was actually considered, a con- according to him, he was considered old for for the bullpen because he was like 24 um mm. i think he was a teacher at some he was like an english teacher or something he was considered old because he was 24 where everybody else had gotten their their start at marvel like at the age of 15 you know i mean yeah you know, yeah stands like well back Sweat in my shop. day <laughs> <laughs> there were no there were no uh you know there were no laws against working kids to the bone uh, or, you know English we're importing guatemalan babies and making them write the fantastic four <laughs> so but anyway that's little and right thomas um i really liked it i like this issue a lot uh this is i mean they've got the mimic now the mimic's on the team he's like yeah i'll hang out with you guys i'll join the x-men sure and uh you know i'm reading this like I mentioned knowing of him years ago when, when I was young, not reading these early issues, just knowing of him and reading some stuff in uh, Marvel Comics Presents. I didn't know he was such an asshole. And uh, I got to say, Cyclops, at some point, you know he wants to just shoot off his eye beam and be like, you know, Mimic's like making a sandwich and Cyclops just blasts him in the back of the head. And he's like, Maybe I did that subconsciously, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, <laughs> they're gonna want to off this guy. He's such a jerk. But anyway, before we move on to our next read, what did you guys think? Overall thoughts. I liked it. I liked the art. I liked. Uh, I agree with Drew on that. I noticed in the art, there's better backgrounds. Uh-huh. It's not just. The typical like colored background there's you know some thought going into it there are yeah. some colored backgrounds still but they're getting there are fewer and fewer yeah but well you know i think that's also a style thing you know it's yeah i mean, I mean it could also yeah. be that the uh, replacement coloring for uh marvel unlimited as we've discovered so. remember back in the day they had four colors to work with so they had to uh yeah <laughs> they had to make it work. well like page 14 the very bottom where Cal's wings suddenly pop out of his shirt. It's, you know, set against a red background. No, but they're trying to do that for like, you know, yeah, emphasis. Like, effect. oh my God, dramatic. Yeah. So, you, you know, you got to let that go, I guess. I like the story pacing and the t- storytelling overall was a little better. Yeah, cool. Okay. What do you think, Rowan? How do you like it? Yeah, it was okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thoughts on it? Um, like, like I said, I, I was really, I was really irritated by the way Jean was written, at least in the early part. And, and I also, I was like home economics in college. What? Hmm. You know, these little sort of little things that irritated me overall, I was a good issue. Um, you know, how it came together. Um, but, uh, that I was, I, I guess I, I, I guess I was irritable reading it. <laughs> proof, just proof positive once again that Stan Lee doesn't actually talk to people that right. do things that he doesn't do. Right. 
All right, Drew. What do you? Uh, well, you, how do you? Yeah, give me your overall thoughts on the book. I liked this issue um, mostly because the pacing. It didn't ever really yeah. let up, and it, the ending was abrupt, but it worked for the most part. I don't know. There were there were some little characterization issues in it, mostly with the angel for me. But I liked how um, they actually started fleshing out Ted as a character. Right. I felt like he wasn't just some you know frat boy that was there he's actually becoming you know a, a value valuable person in gene's life so that was well, I, I think i, I think that, that goes back to the romance the romance Probably. novel type stuff or the romance comics he's you know if he's going to be a viable love interest he's got to be developed a little bit the one thing about this issue i didn't really like was um puppet master because i didn't know anything about puppet master um and it just kind of he kind of it just throws you it, it throws him in there kind of expecting you to already know who he is what he does what his his gimmick is and it kind of you know feeds you that throughout the issue but never really enough for me to care about him so i thought it was kind of a weak villain for this it but does... he didn't need to be a strong villain for it yeah because it was it... this was an issue about you know the mimic joining the x-men and the, and the x-men characters but that's a good point, though, Drew, because, you know, earlier Rob was saying that Steadley considered every reader to be a new reader. Right. But only in certain spots exactly. and only sometimes. Well, we only even when it was convenient. Some of those editorial boxes, he'll say, but you already know this because you read Thor number 35. You know but what I mean? I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of those editorial boxes that scroll across the whole bottom of the box. Where it's like, that was in last issue, wasn't it just sexy thing? And it's like, you just could have said last issue, fucker. <laughs> yeah. Brevity, Stan. Um, and Shane, your thoughts? Um, overall, I thought it was fun. Um, I love just how such an unrelenting douche nozzle mimic is. It's amazing. It <laughs> there's like, quit. there's only one one possible way that dude could ever be. Mm -hmm. asshat yep <laughs> <laughs> all right x-men 28 was released november 3rd 1966 cover date was january 67 roy thomas did the writing warner roth did the pencils dick Ayers did the inks Artie simic did the letters stanley of course edited and irving Corbush was the noise maker at any rate this uh this issue is entitled the whale of the banshee and i I've been excited to read this because I love the Banshee. I think he's great. Um, this in this told me a lot about the Banshee I didn't know. So uh, it's it's a fun issue for me. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, I mean, and especially again, there's another character that they give a really good overarching story over the decades. You know, mm -hmm. I feel like you just uh, you're you you should be up to the point where Banshee was a spirit of vengeance in the X Men. No. Oh, okay. Well, yes. <laughs> oh, Banshee's a spirit of vengeance in the X-Men. Okay. <laughs> Great. Well, you know, he worked for Interpol. Mm -hmm. He was a New York City policeman. Mm -hmm. Um he was folks. one of the horsemen of apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was wow. dead for he was undead for quite a while. Zombie then, Banshee. So when wow. I first when I well, first Renaissance man. Yes. When I first saw <laughs> When I first saw Banshee in the comics was, of course, during um, probably during Sylvester's era yeah. in the art. 
and Banshee couldn't scream. Like he didn't have any power. So he just hung out on Muir Island with Moira and McTaggart because that's all he could do. Um, but he, I always felt like he was a pretty interesting character. By then they'd fixed it. So his upper yeah. lip was not as big as his forehead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, <laughs> the artwork on Banshee is ridiculous in this <laughs> issue. Um, it's a little rough. It's a a bit rough. So the opening, before we go into this issue, though, I want to talk about the cover. It's this. I don't know. It's weird. It's just, it's, it's disconcerting. It bothers me. It's this red background, right? With rings of sonic energy. Yeah. Uh, The X-Men are being flung around. Banshee is flying right through all of it. Like I said, I first saw him in some early '90s issues of Uncanny, and and the actual like the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. Remember that book, mm-hmm. um, which was just like files on characters, right? Um, and he was already a hero by the time I was introduced to him, right? Quite so. And like I said, he was already out of commission by the time I, I was introduced to him. So I didn't really know the extent of his powers. Um, so when I went back and read Giant Size X-Men number one, uh, which is kind of, you know, where they get the new X-Men, Wolverine and and, and Colossus and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I read, so I read Giant Size number one and forward, and it helped me kind of form how I saw and felt about the character. Uh, and I realized that the guy on the cover is not that character. <laughs> <laughs> like what the hell <laughs> but you know what you know what i know you're talking about the, co- the you said that the, the cover was disconcerting roger but yeah. i think that the cover is, is is cool because it's an it's an homage to pop culture of the time yeah, because you think about it, really it vertigo came out in 1958 so it wasn't that long ago and that is act absolutely where the inspiration for this cover came from yeah you know, now that you say that, yeah, I, I, I have to give you that. Yeah, it's there. I think part of my problem, though, is the the way they drew Banshee. It's almost like he is literally the mythical character, you know, with the big ghostly like. And... Yeah. Yeah. Well, the and the way, with, but the way he uses his power in the book is way different from the way he winds up using it later on. Yeah. Right. right. So, well, for one, he can use his power to turn himself invisible. I didn't know that. I did not yeah. either. Yeah, that was this, like you said, so many interesting things. This was, I think, <laughs> this was one of my favorite things about the this book was like, wow, man, they're just like, all the villains are just off the rails and can do, <laughs> what can you do with your power? Fucking everything. Magnetism, <laughs> <laughs> bitch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> watch this while I use my sonic powers to make a sandwich. <laughs> just, about, just about the only things that he didn't do with his powers was like phase shift and yeah. maybe teleport. But he probably could. I mean, <laughs> I mean, theoretically, yeah, he could. He probably could. So, but was I mean, any... that, too, that too is like, I mean, but that's kind of like a, a little bit of a spoof on the Flash, right? Because yeah. The Flash yeah. was able to vibrate himself and pass right. through walls and travel through time. Yeah. <laughs> so was anybody here not familiar with Banshee before reading this issue? Me. Uh-huh. Well, uh, the only my only familiar familiarity with the Banshee is from X-Men First Class. All right. Uh, so in the story, Banshee breaks into a gallery and steals a valuable painting that just looks like the box 
the cover box to the movie A River Runs well, Through No, it. it wasn't a um, valuable painting. That was why they were so confused about it. Oh, okay. Well, it was one of... It was. They said it was valuable. It was a Gaelic painting. But then there were like... Millions but there were so many others. Yeah, yeah. It was that he took one when there were so many others that he could take. That was just because he, he liked it. He just liked that one. It was like, oh, yeah. So he broke in there. He knocked everybody out, and of course, we see him like soaring over crowds of people, and they're screaming, "My head is hurting! Oh my god, what is that sound?" And he's invisible to everybody because his sonic power makes him invisible. And he also uses that sonic power to make people go to sleep, apparently. That seems really weird, but I have actually had experiences like that where I've heard people, I mean, people singing. There have been people like that. that you about. <laughs> no, no, but I, like their voice resonates at a certain pitch and it causes me to get dizzy. Yeah. There are people that start reading and when they're reading, I go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, yeah, uh, that's Bon Iver. Every time that bon starts, Aww, up, I'm bon like, Iver. <laughs> Bon Iver puts you out. Okay. Um. Well, so the X Men are testing their abilities right now, and their new deputy leader, by the way, is the Mimic, because Cyclops has said, "Look, I can't do this because I'm I'm a I'm a ticking time bomb. I'm a dangerous weapon. I can't be leading the team." And so Mimic's like, "Okay, I'll do it." And of course, I get the feeling that that Xavier says yes, and it's because the mimic won't do what anybody else tells him to do. So he has to be the, the guy in charge because otherwise they'll get nothing done. Um, I don't know. I might be wrong about that, but that's just a feeling I got. <laughs> well, at least he's got a good reason for putting him in charge. Yeah. <laughs> he's got narcissistic tendencies, so let's let him leave. It sounds like the, like the most ridiculous reason to make someone leader mm -hmm. yeah. well, who who's gonna lead the x-men if scott is stepping down i ran a taco bell for <laughs> months you're hired good sir <laughs> the <laughs> asshole who won't take orders yeah he should be the one who's in charge right, right. now so the goal is to see at this point the goal is to see how far the mimic could travel away from the x-men and still retain his x-men powers so the the Xavier has him flying in circles around the perimeter of the mansion and just ever increasing circles. So they, he gets a little bit further away, a little bit further away. And Mimic is like, you know what? Screw this. I'm, I'm going to take off right away. There's a little gizmo on Cerebro that says, Hey, he's exceeded the limit. He's flown out of the area. You told him not to fly out of. And, and the Ten Mimic is point accuracy. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Right. There's the mimic is somewhere in America. Once <laughs> North but, America. Uh, yeah. But all of a sudden what happens is his wings start to shrivel up because now he's out of, out of range. He got cold. So professor Xavier did Shrinkage. some kind of, some kind of mind whammy on him that he was hoping would cause the mimic to keep his powers. Um, but it's just kind of, expanded the range of his powers we go back to banshee who shows up at his own headquarters and we meet his partner the ogre now roger and shane you guys might have seen the ogre later on like in the 90s he showed up yes again. revenge of the nerds <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nerds <laughs> I was not expecting 
that. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Drew's he... sitting there like the old people think they're funny again. Yeah. <laughs> Story of my life. Yeah. Well, Ogre, of course, ends up joining the nerds. However, yes. uh, this Ogre does not. Um, so Ogre, you know, I, I re I'm reading this. I'm like, Ogre is such a lame ass character. And then I realized that they used him in Thunderbolts. Yeah, yeah. There was a storyline where the Thunderbolts are to have taken over. I think is it Fantastic Four's headquarters, because now all the 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 superheroes in the Marvel universe have been put into a little pocket dimension. This is after the onslaught thing. Yeah, that was that was just before the heroes reborn when they were yes. like it was like B team, B team, go go go. So so <laughs> the Thunderbolts decide. Well, we are going to be the world superhero team because now the Avengers and the Fantastic Four are all gone. And the Thunderbolts, of course, were a bunch of villains pretending to be good guys. Yep. So they move into the Fantastic Four's headquarters. I think it's the Fantastic Four's headquarters. And there's some weird shit going on when they're not paying attention and they don't know what it is. Well, it turns out there's this guy hiding. I don't know if he's like living in the walls or something, but but it's the ogre and and he's even got like a big white beard and you know so he's he's been there for a while <laughs> watching sue storm and and i remember reading that going who the hell is the ogre what is this guy and they because that whole time period of writing was shit on all the books um people <laughs> didn't know what they were doing they had plot threads that they just dropped and nobody never went back to so and i think that's kind of what happened to the ogre but it's the same guy at any rate I, I have a question here when they when Banshee goes back to the thing. First of all, Banshee's not a supervillain. He's just homesick because he's stealing everything from Scotland. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he had had to have that Gaelic painting of the guy yeah. fishing. But um, why do they always why why everyone all the supervillains are always constantly in their spandex? It's hmm. like why do they never does no one ever just kind of lounge around the lair in their underpants on a Tuesday or something like that? And it's like it's <laughs> not go. The air conditioner's broken. Nope. Well I'm still wearing the full body suit. Uh, the the ogre has just exclaimed that he has found the X-Men's hidden base. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're gonna find the hidden base and kidnap Professor Xavier. Um, of course, these two villains, the Banshee and the Ogre work for an organization called Factor 3. And Charles Xavier has been just waiting for Factor 3 to show up. The ogre lectures Banshee for stealing the painting because it's, it's petty, you know? That's not what we're here for. You're going to ruin our mission. And the Banshee's like, yeah, okay, uh, we can go on that mission, but first I got to go break into a tobacco shop and steal some tobacco. I like the way this happened. Right. You guys remember this. So he breaks into this this tobacco shop. Of course, he knocks everybody unconscious before he goes in, because that's cool, because that's what he does. And then while he's in there healing tobacco, this old man who doesn't have his hearing aids in doesn't get knocked unconscious because, you know, you can't hear him. He leaves the place and locks it up with the banshee inside <laughs> and then goes off to call the cops. I do want to point out, though, that this old man looks like stan lee when stan lee's an old man yeah <laughs> <laughs> of course the x-men notice this whole happening going on um of course jean gray is doing what she does best she's having a picnic in a park with everybody's favorite ed roberts 
Um, Ted begins to lay out basically all of his life's, life's woes and uh, with Gene. And then he's interrupted by a radio broadcast talking about the attack on the tobacco or the attack on the uh, uh, gallery. So he's getting ready to tell Gene his deepest, darkest secrets. And then all of a sudden, this just in all over the radio. So uh, this is another one of those issues where we bounce back and forth. Now we go back to the Ogre and Banshee, we go to the X-Mansion, but Xavier has seen him coming. Unfortunately, Banshee's scream still knocks knocks everybody out. Wait, uh, and... could we talk for just a second? Maybe one of you guys, I consider my math skills probably middling at best, but maybe one of you guys that is better at math kind of explain the equations and the calculations that Professor Xavier used based on previous activity to figure out that Banshee and the Ogre were going to attack the X-Mansion. I think he used the same math that the Ogre used to find the location of the mansion in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Magnetism. Magnetism! <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like that. Like he's always got the answer to every question, but he never will tell anybody. Yeah, because it's like, no, I can't answer that question for you. But please allow me to go on for another fifteen minutes with the explanation to how I got the answer, but not actually give you the answer. Yep. Yeah. What is in the recipe of your soup, Professor Xavier? I can't answer that, but let me let <laughs> me give you everything but the ingredients. Yes. Let's take a look at this salad. Um. So. So. Yeah, they go to the mansion and and knock everybody out. The ogre, of course, this is supposed to allow him to just be able to kidnap the professor. Um, and then Marvel Girl shows up and interferes long enough for the X-Men to revive. She's learning this from, I think, Ted and, or not Ted, she's learning this from Iceman and Beast. You know, she can just uh, split on a date. <laughs> and, and... <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, they're uh, not going to mind. But, but, um, my other question about about this one is, how did the ogre and Banshee know that Professor X was going to be at the mansion? Because he's he can't gone, walk. He, but he's gone to great lengths over and over to disassociate himself from the X-Men. Well, okay, so there's a few things happening here, right? We know that Factor 3 is, or we feel like factor three is this great mutant menace that Xavier is talking about. He keeps alluding to it. Mm -hmm. um, he knows about them. There's a good chance they know about him. And, you know, it, it's, it's again, this logic where the mad thinker can say, this is what the X-Men's leader looks like because of my calculations, because of, you know, because of, I don't know. Magnetism. magnetism. Yeah. <laughs> magnetism. <laughs> so, so yeah, it, it, it that's just what it is. I but mean, also, not only that, but the ogre. Oh, the ogre knows that Professor X has mental powers. Okay, you got me there. Because he, <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, that's the that's Professor X, and he's the that's the. I just read that and I was like, ooh, someone's itching for a mind wipe. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, well, the poor ogre. He never did go anywhere. That ogre. He went to the Fantastic Four place and hid there. <laughs> hid, in the wall. <laughs> hid in the walls for 20 Nobody years. Nobody knew he was there. He was his janitor for 50 yeah. years, and nobody knew. So, yeah, Gene interferes. The X-Men are revived. Ogre, of course, takes off and goes back to the headquarters. 
And then Banshee gives him a hard time for not bringing the, the professor back. Like, he gave me a hard time for stealing this this painting. But where's the professor, huh? Um, of course, they go back to, to get him. And the professor, he, he reads his mind and discovers how he protects himself against Banshee's whales. He he reads his mind and then he uses his mind powers to like mentally evaluate the material or whatever that yeah. is being used to block the sound. It makes no sense. And he just happened right. to have yeah, you happen to have that stuff on hand. Uh I think he said it was like specially treated wax that he put in, in his ears. Um That was the first one and it didn't work. Oh, right. And then it the second work. one was he just had the mystery compound. This actually gives, of course, the X-Men the upper hand. Uh, they capture the Banshee and put him in this weird pressurized suit and then in a a special pressurized room. Yeah, um, with no, no, it's a with vacuum. No, yeah, a it's vacuum. a it's but it's it's letting enough air in for him to breathe, which means his power should still work. But the, I think the theory is that just just like in space, like the his sound vibrations can't travel through the vacuum. Right. Ah, okay. Thank you for clearing that up, Doctor Drew. Um, the the idea uh, he and did. Thank say... you for clearing up the syphilis too, Doctor oh. Drew. <laughs> <laughs> Come back again if it flares up. Oh God. Rumor oh. abstinence is the answer. Oh Jesus. <laughs> You're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so the idea, I think he he does make a comment where he says, uh, you know, he's got enough room, he's got enough air, oxygen to breathe, but not enough for him to use his powers. So yeah, that's that was breathe. the yeah that specific quote. And I was like, well, if you can breathe, you can use your power. Push league, Marjorie. Of course, there's a big fight between the ogre and mimic. In one of Mimic's most heroic scenes in the in the series, and Mimic hits the button that's on the front of uh, Ogre's costume, which apparently screws up everything the Ogre has going on for him. <laughs> you would uh, think that they would spend a little bit more time with the placement of the on-off button, just like yeah. on the chest. Yeah, all the villains have this this device. It's yeah, so. But it also it allows them to or allows Banshee to take off his headset, his head headdress or whatever it is, um, his headband, and it, mm -hmm. it turns out that that's how Ogre was controlling Banshee, um, because there was like an explosive or something in it that if Banshee just disagreed or decided not to do whatever it was, Ogre would push a button and pow, it would kill Banshee. So Banshee was doing what he was doing because he was being forced to. He still looked like he was having a good time. Well, that means he was sort of taking risks, wasn't he, by taking that painting and going after the tobacco? Yeah, yeah, it was like he was just out of a bad situation. going to steal just for no reason other than to push the ogre's button so he'll blow up his head. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Nicotine addiction's a powerful thing. Yeah, that's true. It's true. So yeah, he took off his headset, and then he tells the X Men that Factor Three uh, intend to take over the world. And they could actually do it. They have enough power to take over the world. So, at any rate, that's the story of X-Men 28. Um, now, you guys probably have a lot of notes on this. I want to bring up page 15, I think panel one, 
Oh. Jean Grey moves a screwdriver. Hank asks for a screwdriver. She moves Thank a you. screwdriver with her mind. Thank you. And she says, here's your pliers, Hank. And Hank says, Jeannie, you're a credit to your gender. Not in the <sighs> original. What? What? That's not what she says. What does she say, dude? She says, here is your screwdriver, Hank. What? That's what it says on mine. Oh, my God. And I was specifically looking out for this because Rob had told me about this like in person when we were talking. Oh, so man, that's so bizarre because this pissed me off so much. Well, I hold was on. like, hold on. It didn't just piss you off. It pissed off the world because I, I so I don't know what happened here because Roy Thomas has actually talked about this where uh, people were mad. And he said, that was a mistake on my part. You know, it, sorry. It might be that mine has somehow been edited. It does not look like it has been. But he, she specifically says, here is your screwdriver, Hank. Yeah. Well, Roy Thomas was a little vague about it. Like, he almost didn't know exactly how that happened. But, but you know, people, got, people were mad at uh, the artist. And he was like, look, don't give Werner Roth the trouble. Okay, that was my mistake. Um, well, that's fantastic. That's that's really interesting. So tell me about your thoughts, you guys, when 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 you're when you read this. Well, let's start with Rowan. I liked I liked this issue. Well, now I'm curious though about this particular page. This page. Oh. Yeah. This particular incident. Oh, well, I when I found the whole the whole panel, the whole page annoying. Yeah. Well, one, because even a person who doesn't know tools kind of know, kind of know pliers and screwdriver. You would yeah. kind of know a little bit. You know what I mean? They're so it's pretty was, common tools. It was, yeah, it was really insult. It's a really insulting thing. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so hold on, but hold on, Rowan. Are you saying it's insulting because she gets it wrong, or because of what Beast says to her? Beast reply. All of it. Or is both? Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. It's sort of like. There's a dingbat statement here, yeah. and 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 then there's also like a, and then there's sort of like a sarcastic statement back, which makes it worse because you're yeah. a credit to your gender for handing me the wrong tool exactly. and calling it the wrong thing. Yeah. Right. Oh right. my god, my head! I just like I just went ultrasonic for the, just like that. <laughs> so I wondered too if maybe this is part of the reprint you know how they reprinted the issues uh once the book was canceled yeah i wondered if maybe this was from the reprint um as opposed to the original release but who knows i mean like i said roy thomas admitted that there was a mistake there he almost admitted to like not really paying attention to what the art was doing when he wrote it you know <laughs> so but yeah, that's fascinating. I, I'm just so curious about this. Why it says it, it, it says screwdriver in truth art. So this is uh, vaguely reminiscent of uh, when George Lucas went back to the original trilogy uh, <laughs> for the uh, re-release back in the 1990s, and he started adding things, the computer graphics, like uh, when he put uh, Jabba the Hutt in that scene. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, Roger, you could go on forever, couldn't you? I could, dude. It's sad. <laughs> oh, I'm still angry about that job. 
that's that's my, that's the version I grew up with, so I love it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you got to go back I'm and okay. watch. You got to go back and do a little bit bit of digging on the internet. Look for Star Wars: The Despecialized Edition. Why yeah, would I? For real. Why would I go watch an inferior product? <laughs> oh. Oh boy! So there, there's, oh my God. there's another thing in in this uh, comic about. I'm just gonna gonna cut the Star Trek, Star Wars talk. There's another thing here um, about Banshee's powers, and that is that the mimic cannot mimic a Banshee, and it's because he's just vibrating so fast. You know, he's like I call shenanigans. Yeah, yeah. Is it is it because I, the only way that that works is. If do if doing it from like a strict strictly, I guess mathematical point of view, if if Banshee's powers are exponentially stronger than the mimic's powers, it would be too high of a level for him to mimic. Like say he could, that would mean he couldn't uh, mimic Quicksilver. So I I want I had this in my notes. Drew at one point in a past uh, episode had asked when Roy Thomas became editor-in-chief and i actually looked that up so i was able to answer it uh, 1972 dan became the publisher of marvel comics and roy thomas became the second editor-in-chief of marvel comics so and at that um, point stan lee stopped having tiny little boxes on all the panels and just took up a half a page in every fucking book <laughs> good god <laughs> oh. I do. Uh, I will say one of the things I did. I did notice in this, uh-huh. in this issue, was that after even after all this time, the mimic is not using everybody's powers to their full capabilities. He has yet to make ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy, wasted, wasted talent there. There you go. <laughs> I really liked yeah. the Banshee in this though. He like he was a good villain. He was like he was he was he was arrogant, but not too arrogant. And he definitely had the power to back it up. Uh-huh. But he was he was intelligent without being a dick. Like that was the main thing. He was he was smart, but he wasn't like Hank or like the or like Professor right, right. Xavier. Right. Um Yes, but like his claim of being it could, under the control of the bomb is kind of offset by his just casual petty crime <laughs> <laughs> where he's like oh you know i'm a little bored today i'm gonna go steal a painting and while i'm enjoying this painting i'm gonna need some tobacco from my homeland so yeah yeah just go take it <laughs> I'm gonna go to Starbucks and steal a latte. And... <laughs> I'm tired of wandering around in these yellow calf high boots. I want some sneakers. <laughs> I'm gonna go rob a Footlocker. Oh no, this mall only has a lady Footlocker. Well, I guess I'm gonna have to wear hot pink shoes for a while. <laughs> I really like this issue myself. Now, I, I like I said, I, I've already liked the Banshee. I already like Mimic. Uh, I think the Ogre's a throwaway character. We probably won't see him again for, you know, till like 1994. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I, one of the things I liked was Cyclops' acceptance of Mimic as deputy leader. Um, 
know, Cyclops does kind of try to tell him how to do his job, uh, but that's Cyclops for you and the mimic for you. But overall, he's like, well, he's the boss now, you know, <laughs> do what he says. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm still waiting for mimic to turn around and make a sandwich. <laughs> behold the power of my mayonnaise <laughs> no no uh, I like the way you slice tomatoes sir can we can we talk about some crimes of Xavier <laughs> yes how about this ominous locked door that they keep showing us we'll find more about it later but uh, I mean you know, although <laughs> we've already made jokes about Xavier having a special locked door, um, but they keep showing this this ominous door and and how everybody's he's keeping secrets. Like this is a, he's keeping all this under wraps. Nobody knows about this door. Um, I think it's. Is it what Cyclops are you talking about, Rob? They go in that room every day. Yeah, and then he just turns their brain to jello <laughs> and sends them back out into the world. At any rate, every uh, night. Well, I think that. Wow, that's it's given me a lot to think about just now. <laughs> oh damn! They they all have little hooks in that room with oh. coats hanging on them, and their name is P-touched right into the wood above, <laughs> above everybody's coats. <laughs> wow. The ogre got his idea for living in Sea Storm's wall from somebody. Xavier. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I really enjoyed this. So, of course, you know, Banshee gets out of his thing. They defeat the ogre. Factor 3 is deterred for some amount of time. And, uh, you know, they all wave goodbye and smile to Banshee as he flies off into the sunset at some point. Um, he'll show up again and they'll team up and Banshee will team up with all kinds of people. Spider-Man, Captain America, you know. Um, and then, yeah, he'll do all kinds of things like become the spirit of vengeance and horseman. He of has a daughter who has a love affair with Deadpool. And... <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Um, but at any rate, uh, final thoughts on this issue. How about you, Raj? We'll start with you. You know, I'm I'm looking at page 20, and the way they draw Banshee is just a criminal act. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, forget the crimes of Xavier. Let's look at this stereotypical Irish kind of... Rowan asked uh, me, did, did they intend for him to look like a leprechaun? I kind of think so. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that's legit, dude. You know, what's funny is, and, and I don't know, I hope we actually make it in this this book club slash podcast long enough to get to the issue where they go to banshee's homeland and actually meet leprechauns um but but it happens <laughs> i mean they talk to wolverine and, and nightcrawler and everything I, you know i like the i like the issue overall i it, the banshee thing was uh kind of a fun twist on things and again there's the undefined menace of the factor three I enjoyed it overall, but I, the like I said, the the letting the bad guy wander off into the sunset is the the tropes that they've given the X Men are less than flattering. Uh -huh. They constantly forget what the power set of the people they're facing is, and then once they beat them, they're like, oh, "I'm sorry, my bad." And they're like, "It's all right, go on." Oh, but see, see, I see Iceman for some ice cream on the way out. <laughs> what? But what are they going to do? They're not cops. 
I mean, when let's if you want to be serious for a minute, when Spider-Man webs up criminals, it's meaningless. There's he's nobody gave us a report, right? They're just webbed up. Oh, well, there's a little note that he hand wrote on someone re, somebody's receipt in the garbage that says they stole some jewelry. BFD. There's there's nothing there. There's no crime. Yeah, but the cops are just cutting them down and letting them go. I mean, there's nobody being prosecuted. Well, at, at later, the X Men will make it a practice to uh, once they catch bad guys to actually let them join the team. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, we've already seen that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, but the other side of that too is people are like, "Oh, you know, that guy's robbing the bank again. What's he doing? I don't know. I saw the X Men beat the crap out of him a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Well, yeah, they just they just let him go. We saw." Beat him up and then he left. Smiling well, I mean, aside from Xavier, you know, mind wiping him, what is what? What can they do? They're acting outside the law anyway. I mean, you know, realistically. So this kind of goes back to Drew's point. The X Men were uh, always kind of outside outside the world of everybody else. They were like their their yeah. own their own thing. I had very mixed feelings about this issue. I mean, I thought I thought the characters. It, it, and how they were written was pretty good. And I, I really liked the dichotomy of having um, with the ogre and the banshee with having one be a mutant um, and then the other one being a tech based supervillain because the ogre, he wasn't a mutant. He was just a normal dude with, with mm -hmm. tech powers. And uh, I also, I really liked how in for the, those two in particular, like they were very well prepared and very well informed to complete the mission. And that, that it's as of yet, they've probably been like the most professional and no nonsense, you know, get the job done type of villains we've seen when they're actually like doing the job. Yeah. I mean, not, not when Banshee's off robbing the banks and doing whatever he wants, but when they're actually on their mission, they are getting the job done. And that's not something we've seen before, but see, that was one of my problems with this book was that they had information that up to this point, they keep saying no one has this information. Like, no one knows that Professor X works with the X-Men or has mutant powers. Yeah, well, that's th that kind of ties in with one th the, the thing that I, I I absolutely hated about this issue. It's like, they're, the plot. I hated the plot of this because why were they trying to abduct Professor Xavier? Like, other than, oh, f uh, Factor 3 says so. And until the very last panel, which, like, I kind of glossed over when I was reading it, I had no idea what or who factor three was like why is still who's factor three yeah and then i didn't somehow i missed it down at the bottom where it says um the, the very last word bubble in the issue says uh uh it's banshee saying factor three is the most dangerous secret organization on earth it has the means to conquer the world and even destroy it but when i was reading these all in a row i didn't even realize it was an organization or a group until the next issue when professor xavier just like casually mentions that factor three is a group like it made no sense to me. It's a K-pop boy band. <laughs> yeah, but but because because they didn't like they didn't say anything except for like mentioning oh factor three factor three factor three because we had no idea who factor three was it made everything feel very low stakes to me. Yeah, yeah, it it, it in a way it kind of fizzles out too. Um, mm -hmm. I I have always known there was a factor three because of the like I said the the handbook of Marvel Universe mentions it briefly the game files briefly mention it, um, but 
there's later there's no sign factor three was ever a thing i mean they'll talk about having to fight nefaria and the unicorn and and the locust and el tigre but factor three it almost gets forgotten about you know so and then and there's probably a good reason you know they're like holy shit now what do we do now we're getting closer to the moment where we have to we have to bring factor three out and they're just not that scary <laughs> well, that's the, but that's the thing when you build it up like that and in the rest of the Marvel universe, you have villains like, you know, Dr. Doom. It's like, well, these guys really have to be, they have to be something. serious, a serious threat. Yeah. Yeah. And if it, you can't do that, if you can't deliver on it, you just let it go. It, it reminds me of X Factor. Um, when Apocalypse starts showing up in X Factor, he's always in the shadows, you know? And they brought him out, and I think it was number five, X Factor number five, and you get to see what Apocalypse looks like. They had always intended this character, the guy that, you know, the guy that is the the main baddie trying to thwart X Factor's every move, it was supposed to be the owl. That would have fizzled hardcore because the owl, mm -hmm. nobody gave a damn about the owl. <laughs> so. They actually had yeah, I always felt like the character. owl was one of the weaker Daredevil yeah. slash Spider-Man villains. It was yeah. like, what is he? What's his power? He has a cloak. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been it would have been cooler if the guy instead of you know instead of Apocalypse, but instead of the owl, if it were the Plunderer. <laughs> so. Hey, you guys. Um, just saying, if they need somebody to fill in. Um, the eel's always ready and willing. <laughs> of course he is. Of course he is. Yeah, thanks, eel. Um, so well, I I enjoyed it. I like this issue a lot. Uh, you know, I always want Factor Three to be something. I want the mutant menace to be something. Um, but the truth of it is, is and oh, I always wanted Ogre to be something. But damn, uh, <laughs> just Banshee. a lawyer. We got Banshee. <laughs> so so there we go got banshee next issue we're going to cover daredevil 14 and it'll be the last daredevil in a little while just to let you know the it's end of the trilogy thing. yeah and x-men number 29 so uh thanks for joining me and thanks for joining us this episode house of x episode we'll see you guys later bye bye, bye.